take a seat and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 28 this morning. We are going to be continuing in our series through Exodus. Hopefully I can move this without making a lot of sounds. It's very heavy. Um, Again, we are working through the book of Exodus. We're calling this series Delivered to Dwell. Today we are focusing in on the theme of priesthood throughout the Bible. And, and I want to I kind of give us a little bit of perspective this morning on why we're doing this. Um, and, and I'm super thankful for the way that God orchestrates things as we plan services um, to, to really understand where we're going in this message with priesthood. We, we have to have a view of God that he is so holy, so set apart, so other. Otherwise, we're just going to look at these details and they're just going to become rules and laws and, and we're going to miss it. And because what we're looking at this morning in priesthood, God is, God is setting up a theme. He's setting up a system that will exist throughout the entire Bible. And, and it reminds me of um, something that I'm a little bit of a fan of. It began about 20 years ago or so, where I was at New Year's Eve and I was at my grandparents' house. And instead of watching the ball drop, we watched a domino um, display. You know what I'm talking about? Where like they push one domino over and then like 350,000 dominoes fall and then it presents something at the end that says like, Happy New Year. Maybe if you're not familiar with that, you're more familiar with like the Root Goldberg. You've seen these things where, you know, they like kick a tennis ball and the next thing you know, there's like planes flying through the house, knocking all these things over. And, and, and what they're doing is they're creating something that's going to display something beautiful later. But, but could you imagine watching them set this up? Like, like rather than the YouTube video being the actual, you know, domino falling display, it's just someone setting it up for thousands and thousands of hours. You, you wouldn't want to watch that, right? But, but in some sense, that's what we're looking at in this passage today, is that God is setting something up that is going to be so incredibly beautiful. I mean, he's setting up a system, a system of sacrifice, a system in a way that a holy God is going to relate to his covenant people that will have themes throughout the entire Bible. But today, we're literally watching that system be established. And then at the very end of the message, we're going to kind of knock it all over and sprint to Jesus. Because, again, without pointing to the beauty of it, we're going to miss it. But we need to know that there's a holy God who's establishing this system of priesthood. And so, so without really having a proper heart posture towards God, you're just going to hear a God who's listing a ton of rules. But when we understand God's holy, we believe that he's up to something. And so I want us to have that picture in the back of our mind this whole time, that there are dominoes being set up that we're going to be knocking over at the end as we see it point to Jesus. And so again, the Bible is a story full of interconnected truths, themes, and they all point towards Jesus. Again, each week we're not just looking at tabernacle for the sake of looking at it so we know how the construction was done. We're not just looking at the law so that we can like repeat it and, you know, on quizzes, you know, at trivia nights, we'll, we'll know the, the obscure laws of the Bible. We're looking at it because they point us and they connect us to Jesus, and that's the same thing as we look at priesthood. I really like the way that the Bible Project just defines the Bible, which again is an impossible task, so let's give them some grace in this definition. They say the story of the Bible is about humanity's cycle of self-destruction and a Messiah who restore the covenant relationship uh, between God and his humans. 
So again, God is at work since the very beginning. He exists in perfect communion with his people. And then due to sin, there's a separation. And then a huge majority of the rest of the Bible is God establishing a relationship with his people to restore that separation. And we're finding ourselves in the midst of that. But then we're going to see that we can't even do that in and of ourselves. So again, the question isn't, can God restore this relationship? But it's, how does he restore this relationship? And this leads us to our big idea this morning. A priest is a mediator between a holy God and his covenant people. A priest is a mediator between a holy God and his covenant people. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll jump into the text this morning. Father God, you, um, you are so holy. Um, You are perfect. You are set apart. You are the creator of all things. God, God, we do our best attempts to pour our praise out to you, Father, but we know it's not enough. Um, God, you are a holy God who desires relationship with your people. And God, God, you not only set up systems so that we can commune with you, God, but you fulfill those systems. And God, we praise you for it. God, as we look at the setting up of the priesthood, may you grow our view of you. And then thus, may we walk in faith, Father. May we live as people who are more holy in response to you. May our acts of obedience towards you be driven by a view of who you are. Father God, we thank you. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Before we look at our passage this morning... I want to kind of recap where we've been. So again, Israel is enslaved to Egypt for over 400 years. God then leads them into this desert. Moses is now actively receiving the law from God, which will guide the relationship with God as his covenant people. Last week, we looked at the tabernacle, and this week, we're going to look at priesthood. And so with that, let's look at Exodus chapter 28, verse 1 through 3 this morning. The text records, then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. This morning, we're going to look at two different things that are found in these three verses, and we are going to add the fourth, but we're going to learn about the priestly role first, again, the role that is established by God, and then secondly, we're going to look at the priestly attire, which is what is in the following two chapters of this. So again, we're stacking up dominoes, but I promise we're going to see them fall as we get to the end. I want to come back to our big idea, and this is also our definition for priesthood, but a priest is a mediator between a holy God and his covenant people. This is something that we see all throughout the Bible. God is establishing in this text the role of the high priest and the role of the Levitical priesthood, but this is something that we see throughout the entire Bible. If we can get that graphic up here for a second. So this is a graphic, again, it's not perfect, but what I want to show you is that this is something that we see 
all throughout Scripture. Again, we have the high priest, we have the priestly order, which are being introduced in these passages. And then throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we see things like the king priest. So David is referenced as being a priest. He's a mediator between God and his people. And then we also have this picture we were introduced to last time I preached, which is the nation of priests, which we see in Exodus chapter 19. But then this is also referred to as the kingdom of priests in the New Testament. I don't want you to get confused by this graphic, but what I want you to see is that this is all throughout the Bible. And and it should make you think something in your brain right now. We, in the next 20 minutes or so, cannot cover all that needs to be said about priesthood. Merely, we can start a conversation about priesthood that I hope leads into your discipleship groups, and you can really look at the details that God is weaving throughout Scripture. But all throughout the Bible, there is this picture of a priest, a mediator between God and his people. And all of these roles point towards Jesus, and he fulfills them better than anyone ever has in of themselves. And the nation of priests is now carried into the New Testament as the kingdom of priests. This is where we are. This is where We are going. So the next question we have to ask again is how does the role of the priest play out in the Bible? What is the priestly role? See, I'm going to give you five things this morning that I believe are true about the priestly role. But but I want to set these up in that these are alluded to in this passage, but they're not specifically mentioned. Rather, they're mentioned all throughout Scripture If you want to learn more about the priesthood, um, look at the entire book of Leviticus. Look at references to the priesthood in the New Testament. It says all throughout Scripture. So I'm going to give you consistent roles. But again, in the back of your mind, have this picture going on that Jesus fulfills this role better than is ever going to be mentioned in the Old Testament. The first role, which is somewhat obvious, is that priests serve in God's presence. Priests are a role that they directly serve God. Not only do they serve him, but they serve him physically in his presence. They actually get to draw near to the physical presence of God. The second role we see of the priests is that they are um, instructed to guard God's house. In Numbers chapter 338, it says this, Those who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east, before the tent of meeting towards the sunrise, were Moses and Aaron and his sons, guarding the sanctuary itself to protect the people of Israel. And any outsider who came near was to be put to death. So again, being in the presence of God is a pretty big deal. So they are to guard this. Again, I think there's some ways that we can even play this out in our context as part of the kingdom of priests. So first, they serve in God's presence. Secondly, they guard God's house. Third, which is their probably most primary role, is that they are to offer sacrifices for their sins and the sins of others. Again, there's nothing holy about the priest. God instills the role, but when a priest is making sacrifices, they're also making sacrifices for themselves. We see this again all throughout the Bible. The first seven chapters of Leviticus describe the different kinds of sacrifices that a priest would make in the temple. First, they are to present burnt offerings. Supposed to present grain offerings for what God has given to them. Peace offerings, sin offerings, and guilt offerings. These are what the priests are bringing before the temple. Next, priests are instructed to teach the covenants to God's people. Leviticus 10, 10 and 11 says this, you are to distinguish between the holy 
and, and the common and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. And then lastly, priests are actively interceding on behalf of the people of Israel. So priests serve in God's presence, they guard God's house, they offer sacrifices, they teach the covenants to God's people, and they intercede on, his, on their behalf. This is the role of the priest that God is setting up. Why, again, we got to come back to because God desires communion with his people. And without a mediator, a sinful people have no access to a holy God. This is the system that is being established. So again, God establishes a system of mediation between him and his covenant people, and the role of the priest is essential. But it doesn't just stop with the role in this passage. See, it continues to describe literally the attire that they are to wear as they perform these sacrificial acts. Exodus 28.4 says this, These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make these holy garments for Aaron's brothers and his sons to serve as priests. Now, I, I, I don't want us to like um, dig into each element of this this morning because frankly we would be here all day. Um, but the next two, passage, next two chapters go into tremendous detail of the elements of the garment. And, and we, what we want to remember is that, again, as they're creating these garments, they have incredible purpose to them. Um, God isn't doing this flippantly. Again, one, um, they need to know when they're entering the presence of God to make sacrifices that they themselves are not holy. And so God does things even in the construction of the garments that point to his glory. And, and, and I'll be frank with you, I looked up all week different, like, recreations of these garments, and there's some pretty, like, um, not great ones out there, and that's because they're so difficult to make. Like, like literally threads that are stranded in, like, like, three different strands, someone who, like, did actual needlework could say that better than me. Can't even sewing work. I can't even think of the word. But like they're so intricately created. You see this breastplate of judgment? It represents the 12 tribes of Israel. Again, to show them that they're literally bearing the sins of the people as they enter the tabernacle. I mean, God is very, very intentional with this. And as you were to look through the remaining two chapters here that we're in this week, you would see, again, each one of these reference with their details. I would just encourage you to go do that on your own this week. But I do want to make sure it's clear that we understand the purpose of these garments. See, verse 2 says that, the, that these garments are created for, to be holy and beautiful. Again, God is instilling something. He's taking something that's physical, and he's declaring it holy for his purpose. Secondly, again, the garments provide covering, which is incredibly necessary. They are sinful, and if they don't wear these garments when they enter the temple or the tabernacle, they will die. We, we see this happen. This is to, again, protect them as they enter the presence of God. And then lastly, in ways that we referenced, like the um, breast piece, they're created for remembrance. Exodus 28, 29, I do want to read this verse, says this. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breast piece of judgment on his heart when he goes to the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. 
Again, they're to remember what God has done for them. It's not just a list of rules. God is establishing a relationship with his covenant people. And then lastly, they're for the purpose of bearing their guilt. I hope this makes you think of the way that Christ bears our shame. We'll get to that here in a moment. Exodus 28, 38 says, It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be acceptable before the Lord. So again, God creates this role, this role of mediator. He, he establishes how this system is to take place. How they're supposed to do this forever, the text says. They're supposed to sacrifice for their sins in this way, that there's going to be a priest that mediates on their behalf. He provides the tools and the garments for them to do it. And then for 1,500 years, this is how the sins of God's people were atoned for. Ready to knock some dominoes over? I can feel it in the room. So again, first, God establishes the role of priest. Secondly, he consecrates a line to fill said role. Three, then he provides instruction for how to carry out the role. And then he does this until the birth of Christ. And then Luke's gospel opens with a beautiful picture of a priest standing in a temple, hopeful for a Messiah. John 1.14, we read this verse last week. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after the ranks before me because he was before me, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. See, God sets up in his foreknowledge the office of the priesthood, to not only atone for their sins, but to point for their need for a greater Savior. This is drawn upon all across the New Testament, that Jesus is the one who actually fulfills the role of great high priest. God knows what he's up to. I think sometimes we want to look at these stories and we want to think they're not connected pieces, or we're like, how do they connect? No, no, they clearly connect. Like, if you spent some time looking at this, again, I was, God blew my mind this week as I was looking going, wow, this is a thread that points us all the way toward Jesus. Why? Because God wants to exist in communion with his people. And man, does God fulfill this. Hebrews 7 records this. This is verse 7, 26 about Jesus being our great high priest. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did, not, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. In Jesus Christ, we have the perfect high priest. God 
has been setting up a way for the sins of this world to be mediated upon since the very beginning. Drawing our hearts towards him and then providing the mediation that we need. Hebrews 4 An earlier chapter in that book says it like this. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Again, if we accomplish anything this morning, I hope we can expand our view of what God is doing throughout all of Scripture. That when we come to these passages at the end of Exodus, that maybe we just don't turn the page, but we stop and go, man, God, you are beautiful, and you have had a plan, a intricate, detailed plan since the very, very beginning, and praise you, Lord, that you fulfilled that plan in Jesus Christ. I love this quote. This is from a um, Puritan theologian, John Flavel, from the 1700s. He says this. He says, salvation is revealed by God as a prophet, achieved by him as a priest, and applied by him as a king. I'm going to read that one more time. Uh, Salvation is revealed by God as a prophet. God proclaims, Jesus proclaims who he is. It's achieved by him as a priest. Again, he, he is the mediator. There has to be mediation, and he takes upon our silt, bears our shame on the cross for us. And it's applied by him because he's a king. That the creator of all things is also the one who fulfills our need. So I want to I just like stop for a moment and I want to talk a little bit about what our response should be to this. Again, I, I've talked to so many people um, in this church this week and there, there are some of us in this room that you are going through some tremendously difficult, hard things. And I wish I literally could look each one of you in the eye, but that would be impossible. It is sometimes, um, as a believer, we forget to recognize our need for a mediator. They're like, God's got this, I'm good. But man, we worship a holy God who doesn't need us, but yet in love has provided a way for us to exist in communion with him. Let us not make light of that. You know, if, if you're someone in the room and maybe you came with a friend or you came with a family member Um, If you don't know this relationship with God, there's nothing that we've done in here to have greater access to this. Again, if there's there's a point to this, it's that Jesus is the great mediator, we aren't. Um, Anything we do that's holy is in response to God. God chooses to love us. He provides a way for our sins to be paid for, and so we respond in obedience You have that same opportunity in this place this morning or even if it happens when you walk outside those doors. Is that a holy God has provided mediation for your sin through the great high priest, Jesus Christ. We need to recognize that. And secondly, we need to reorient our life to this. If if we had time for like a whole other sermon this morning, which we don't, and I wouldn't do that. Colts play at one, just kidding. Um, That's not why I wouldn't do it. Know that too we would talk about the whole other theme of priesthood throughout the Bible, which is the idea of the kingdom of priest. Because see, what what God is doing in this, he's saying that I'm going to provide a way for your sins to be mediated for, but it's going to affect the entire nation of you. That all of Israel, in a sense, is a mediator between God and this world. 
The same way that us in this room today, the church, we are listed as a part of the kingdom of priests because God has put us in position to mediate between us and a broken world that's in desperate need of a high priest and a savior. You have a role in this. When we recognize what God has done, we can't help but to reorient our life around that purpose. Revelations 5, 9, and 10 says this, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed the people for God. For every tribe and every language and every people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on this earth. Like as we sang about, and I love the way that DJ said it. So like, like we will one day stand before a holy God collectively, but right now we have the opportunity to accept this truth and live our lives in response to that. That's what it means to be a part of the kingdom of priests. Now, as we close out this morning, uh, we're going to take communion, and, and, but I want to set this up um, in a little bit of a unique way because, because as I was prepping uh, this week for this sermon, I came across a passage that it's, it's relatively familiar to me, but, but it had a new light as we've been working through the book of Exodus together. Um, again, as we, as we are diving into this narrative, we're looking at this laws, God is growing my view of who he is so that when I even read things in the New Testament, they take on a new light. And so um, the passage, again, that, that was familiar to me is 1 Corinthians 10, 31, and it says, so whatever you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Again, you're familiar with this passage, likely. It's a very powerful passage. Again, talking about us orienting our entire life everything we do to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But maybe you're not like as aware with the setup for this chapter. And so chapter 10, verse 1 begins like this. It says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate of the same spiritual fruit. So again, he's drawing upon the Exodus narrative. And, and don't get too into the weeds of it. We don't have time for that this morning. But recognize that what he's saying is that God has had a plan since the very beginning. That like, don't be unaware that God knew what he was doing in Exodus and it's going to tie in to this meal that we're about to take. Be aware of that. And then verse 16 says this, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices participants in the altar? I mean, think about this. Again, there's so much more here than I wish we could get to this morning. But just in the, the, the like point 1A that we could draw out of this is that God, since the very, very beginning, since the creation of time, and since these passages we're looking at in Exodus, has known what he was doing to point all the way towards Jesus. And that when we take communion, we should recognize that. Again, communion, again, what what we're celebrating in that is what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And and sometimes I think we emphasize that we're celebrating this together, which is beautiful. Because it it creates reconciliation amongst us. You know, we we don't take communion 
until we know we're right with the brother. That's, that's a beautiful thing. We're celebrating our common union that we have with Jesus. But even more than that, I hope this morning that as we pray and as we take communion together, that we think about a God who is restoring communion with him. You know, another definition for communion is an intimate relationship where you can share things between one another. This is the relationship that God desires to have with us. We praise God for the forgiveness of sins. Should motivate absolutely everything that we do in our lives. But again, before that, a holy God who desired to live in communion with his people again made a way through the sacrificial system, provided Jesus Christ as the great high priest so that we could dwell in communion with him once again. Let us not take that cup lightly. That's why Jesus said do this often because he knew how often my heart and your heart was prone to wander from the good news of Jesus Christ. So I'm gonna ask that we'll stand and, and I'm going to pray and then I will lead us Taking through, the, uh, taking through the elements here as we close out our service this morning. Let's pray. Yeah, Father God, you are holy. Uh, God, you are other, you are set apart. God, we do our best to ascribe worship to you, Lord. Um, God, we are, we are unworthy. God, but in our sin, you meet us there. That God, we can lift our praises in this room. We can pray to you because you're a holy God. And Father God, even more than that, we have a great high priest who's interceded on our behalf, who bear the weight of our sin. That as, as those who are believers in the room, that's what we proclaim. That's why we're gathered. And and Father God, again, we, we thank you for this cup. We thank you for this reminder. May we not take it lightly. If we need to seek reconciliation with a brother or sister in Christ, may we do it. If we need to stop and pray and not leave this place for a bit, may we do that. But God, may we take this cup in celebration that we once again are in communion with you. Father God, you are beyond good to us. love you. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So again, Christ on the night before he died, he stood in front of a room of his disciples and he encouraged them. He said, take this cup, take this bread and do it often in remembrance of me. And yet they didn't know what he was going to do. But what he was ascribing to them was this ritual act to be reminded that he was going to be the one who would bear their sins, bear the sins for the weight of this world. And we gather in this room today, 2,000 years later, as a body of believers celebrating that same meal. Let's not miss that. We are a part of something that is so much greater than we could ever imagine. So I'm just going to ask you with me if you will take the bread and eat of it and, be, and remember what Christ has done for you.
for you, for I, the people to your right, the people to your left, for each and every one of us that professes to believe in him in this room. That his body was broken for us. And then next, take the cup. And again, as we drink this juice, it is representative of the blood that was shed on the cross for your and my sins. Past, present, future sins. Anything you ever do wrong, God has paid the sin of those. If you would take that cup and drink of it. And again, may we never do these things lightly. May rituals point us towards God. Redeemer, you are loved. You are sent. Have a great week.